are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Hello. Hey there. My voice is back. Yeah, it is. You're I mean, sounding good. I know. It's not so sultry anymore. A little nope. sultry. Yeah, you still got a little salt. A little grovel, but way better. It is way better. You feeling all better? I am. Yes, that was the longest I've been sick, and it wasn't COVID. It was like, yeah, because I got tested. Yeah, yeah. My friend got tested, though. I told you about my friend. Mm -hmm. She took she took three tests, and the third one finally came back positive. Well, Josh had it, Evie had it, my mom had it, and they all got tested, and all of them were negative too. Good sign. So yeah, but it was it's like a bronchitis, gross, disgusting slime booger situation yeah i was sick there too but i slept for 10 hours last night and 12 hours the night before and i feel great good well we're both feeling good we're Mm -hmm. here episode 89 on the ken and barbie killers this shit is crazy it is crazy i don't like it i don't like it either i'm i'm shooketh i know rachel and i we both watched the documentary uh, Ken and Barbie Killers on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, we should talk about this. Because it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So before we get into the ridiculousness, um, we only have a few things for business. So like always, like, share, subscribe. Mm-hmm. We're so close to 60,000 downloads, which is amazing. That's right. What are we going to do when we hit 60,000? We're going to do a giveaway. Some sort of giveaway. Something nice. Something fancy. Something real nice. Real nice. (laughs) It's the people going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, call a buddy. Bring a friend. Like, share, subscribe us. Um, We want to shout out Wicked Cat Clothing. They um, reshared one of our posts from the Black Dahlia. And we really appreciate that. You can go to their website, wickedcatclothing.com. And they have all kinds of spooky stuff. A lot of like ghost whisper, paranormal stuff. They got all kinds of things. They mm-hmm. got what mugs, sports bras. Rachel was really into cropped, cropped sweat sweatshirts. Yeah, if you like <laughs> to show your belly. I mean, I don't super like to show my whole belly. Just a little belly. <laughs> no, it's either all or nothing for me. It's all the Hide belly, the rest of it, or no belly in it. No belly. I'll yet. do. I'll do a good twenty percent belly. <laughs> rest, of, rest of it covered up. <laughs> so yeah, go um go to their website. You can find them on Instagram, Wicked Cat Clothing, um, and give them some love. They also do some movie reviews that you can read. They're pretty awesome. So it might give you if you're looking for a movie to watch, you can maybe take one of their suggestions. Yeah. Perfect. That's really it for the business. Real short and sweet. Very short and sweet. Since we've been sick, we haven't really done a whole lot Mm -mm. of stuff to talk about. So that'll be back on. (laughs) We're on now. Okay. That's right. (laughs) All right. So I did the notes for these. And just to kind of do a brief overview of how we're going to go through this, I split up both of their lives. So we're going to talk about Paul. We're going to talk about Carla. 
Then we're going to talk about what happens when they get together and then the madness that ensues. Perfect. Okay. So why don't, why don't you get us started with good old Paul there? All right, Ken. All right. So Paul Bernardo, he was born on August 27th, 1964 in Ontario, Canada to Kenneth and Marilyn Bernardo. He had two siblings, Debbie and David Bernardo. The family was a stable middle-class family, but they had their issues. I bet they were actually like a normal looking family from the outside. You know, when they're like, they look like a normal family. And then you see a picture and you're like, they do not look like a normal family. (laughs) I bet these people actually looked like a normal family. Right. Well, and then typically they say, oh, they're perfect. A perfect family. Yeah. And then it's like, (laughs) exactly. They they straight up had their issues. (laughs) And, and here are some of them. Ken, if Paul's father sexually assaulted Debbie, his sister, and was charged with child molestation for fondling another girl in 1975. So not perfect. Paul's dad was not okay. Right. But Paul as a child was always happy. He had dimples and a sweet smile. He was the perfect child that many of the other mothers wanted. He was polite, well-mannered, good in school, and was a Boy Scout. However, that did not last long because Paul was a sociopath. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he was. He actually started to develop dark sexual fantasies, which I mean... From his father's history, I mean, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, unfortunately. He enjoyed humiliating women in public, which I've never, like, heard it described that way, you know, like, wanting to humiliate somebody and would mm-hmm. beat uh, the women he dated. When he was 16, his mother told him that she actually got pregnant with him during an affair she was having he was disgusted with her and then would openly insult her after that point. He just had no, no respect pretty much. Oh, I got super confused with that sentence. Like she got pregnant from him and I was like, what? No, no, no. (laughs) But I see now that it was when she was pregnant with him. So his father is not really actually his father. his father. Correct. Okay. Got you. Paul attended Sir Wilfrid Laurie Collegiate Institute in Scarborough, then went to the University of Toronto, Scarborough in 1982. He worked for Amway, which was a multi-level marketing company that sold health, beauty, and home care products. He fell in love with the sales culture and would buy books and tapes of famous motivational speakers who pitched their get-rich techniques. He looks like somebody like that. Like a used car salesman almost. Yeah. Not cool. Um, Paul and his friends would actually use these techniques that they picked up to get women at bars. And it was Mm -hmm. fairly successful. I hate to say it, but sometimes we're dumb, you know? Yeah, everybody is. Yeah. (laughs) In Scarborough, though, uh, a string of rapes started taking place. And the media dubbed this the Scarborough Rapist. I wonder who it could be. I don't know. Let's see. Um, So May 4th, 1987, a 21-year-old woman got off of her bus and was grabbed and brutally raped near her parents' home. May 14th, so 10 days later, 1987, a 19-year-old woman was raped in the backyard of her parents' home. 
like super like almost to the door and then he grabs them july 17th 1987 a young woman was almost raped the victim was beaten but the rapist abandoned the attack when she fought back good for her yeah good for her and then september 29th a 15 year old girl was almost raped the rapist broke into a house in scarborough and entered the victim's bedroom he jumped on her back and put his hands over her mouth threatened her with a knife bruised the side of her face and bit her ear the rapist fled when the victim's mother entered the room and screamed a 19 year old anthony hannah Mayer, was convicted of the assault and served 16 months in prison we're getting but it wasn't him no we're getting a lot of these where these people young people (laughs) serve time for other people's issues crazy yeah so in and, our- oh, I'll finish it. Up. Okay. <laughs> There's only one more. <laughs> in October 1987, when Paul was 23, he met Carla Homolka in a hotel restaurant, and the two were instantly attracted to each other. Now, really so well, let's talk about Carla first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Carla Homolka was b- born on May 4th, 1970, in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada, to Carl Homolka and Dorothy Seeger. Her father was Czechoslovakian. <laughs> he was Czech. That was not right either. He was a Czech uh, Czechoslovakian. How is that? <laughs> it's so long and hard. <laughs> anyway, he was an immigrant and he worked as a traveling salesman. Her father was a drunk. Are you judging me right now? Not at all. I didn't think so. You would never. I would never. <laughs> her father was a drunk and he would often pick fights with her mom. Carla and her two younger sibling siblings had to comfort each other. Carla was actually an asthmatic and had to be hospitalized quite frequently because of it. Hmm. As a child, Carla loved to draw and she loved animals. She took up a part-time job at a pet shop when she was a teen. She was a bright student and was liked by most of her teachers. However, she was known to be bossy by her classmates. Leadership skills. Right. (laughs) Although she loved animals, she once threw a friend's pet hamster out of the window, killing it. What the? I mean, would you still be friends with somebody who did that? I hope not. Absolutely not. No. And then how can you be like, I love animals, but have ever done something like that? Maybe it survived. I'm sure it it did. It says killing it. I, uh, the note literally says it died. (laughs) (laughs) So are we questioning this now? I, yeah, I'm going to question it. I'm going to say that it was fine and it just ran away. Hamsters are finicky anyways. They die about nothing. So if one got through out of the window, I'm pretty sure it died. Yeah, that's true. Or maybe they just didn't ever find the body. Then you would assume it was alive. I know. So maybe they didn't look for it because they just assumed you are making stuff up right now. Listen, this hamster's (laughs) alive and well. Okay. At age 12, she started reading the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and became obsessed with crime. Don't we all? Mm -hmm. As she grew up, she enjoyed scaring her friends. She also became interested in the occult and often called spirits with her friends. Which we've all done. (laughs) Yes. I'm scared the shit out of ourselves. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It never goes well. Never. (laughs) 
(laughs) During high school, she did not care about what people thought of her, not conforming to fashion at the time, and was bold when it came to the opposite sex. She dated a boy named Doug and admitted to experimenting with drugs and having sex with him. She often fantasized about weird situations related to death and once attempted to cut herself with a knife. Hmm. Thanks, D-Stuff. Yeah. In October 1987, she was 17 at the time. Uh, She met Paul Bernardo in a hotel restaurant when she attended a convention. The two ended up having sex that night in front of their friends, and which is weird, and both realized they shared the same sadomasochist desires. That was not in the documentary. Yeah. It was, I think. They did not say that they did it in front of their friends. Well, I'm telling you that that's what I read. That is weird. That is so weird. And she was 17 and he, I think, was 23 at the time. Yeah, he was like, like, that's, yeah. I mean, is that? It's illegal. I wonder what, in Canada? (laughs) I'm I'm sure it is. I would hope, I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Canada, what's your rules? What are the rules? I, I think it's illegal. I mean, it should be, but yeah, that's yucky. And to do it in front of your friends is freaking weird. That is and weird. Wouldn't like everyone you know be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go now." Right? Like what? You like just you wouldn't even like, let's go get some popcorn and watch the show. Yeah. Like, no. The be second like, yeah. that started getting heated, I'd be like, "Bye." <laughs> right. I'm outie. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Strange. Yeah, that is weird. All right. So after that night in October, Paul and Carla were an item. They developed a master slave relationship where Paul would tell Carla what to do and Carla would do it. Unlike the other women that Paul dated, Carla embraced and encouraged his sadistic behavior. Although Carla did not become aware until later, Paul was indeed the Scarborough rapist. Shocker. Yeah. I'm shocked. I know. Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? We did. <laughs> we knew. And you probably did too. Yeah. So, and and she was like, she was cool with it. Like she did find out before yeah. everything else happened and she was fine with it. Like yeah. that's crazy. So December 16th, 1987, a 15 year old girl was raped. The next day, the Metropolitan Toronto police issued a warning to women in Scarborough traveling alone at night, especially those riding the buses to be aware of their surroundings. And then December 23rd, 1987, a 17-year-old girl was raped with a knife. At this point, the media started calling the perpetrator the Scarborough rapist. Yep. Uh, April 18th, 1988. So pretty good chunk of time that was between these ones. And a 17-year-old girl was attacked. You know why? Because it was freaking cold outside. Yeah, I mean, he probably, I mean, that would be. That's a lot of clothes to get through, probably. That's true attacking people outside that's true but uh, later on though it does happen in december quite a bit but yeah but you know it doesn't get that cold in december yeah that's true that's true i don't know but it's in canada Mm. it's cold there it's not that far away from where we're at so i don't know if it's like that much colder yeah i don't know you got to think about global warming too in 1988 it was probably a lot colder Oh, we'll Google it later. May 25th, 1988, Bernardo was almost caught by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator staking out a bus shelter. 
The investigator noticed Bernardo hiding under a tree and ran after him. Bernardo ran away and escaped. So this hiding under a tree business, I'm picturing it like in What's you, that look like? Like in oh. you, where he's just like standing behind a light pole, but you can clearly see everything. See his whole body. Yeah. Like you are terrible at this game. Like, right. That's what I does, mean, how do you hide under a tree? I don't know. Is it like a weeping willow? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> just behind a trunk. Right. right. <laughs> May 30th, 1988, an 18-year-old woman in Masago, Ontario, about 25 minutes from Scarborough, was raped. And then October 4th, 1988, a woman was almost raped, but she fought off the attacker. He inflicted two stab wounds to her thigh and butt that required 12 stitches. Getting stabbed sounds like the worst. I agree. And And then your butt... I mean, I guess that's like the best part to get stabbed in because there's nothing like, you know, critical there. Yeah, but still, I just don't don't sign me up for getting stabbed. That sounds that's like that's probably my worst nightmare. I mean, it's scary to think about. Yeah, I would much rather get shot. Hundred percent. Feel like it'd be way faster. You don't have to pull anything out. Right. It's just it happened. Here we are. Yeah. Ugh. (laughs) deal with it from there (laughs) november 16th 1988 an 18 year old woman was raped in the backyard of her parents house another one so that's weird that's so weird that he does it like right in the backyard and i mean i'm not saying like the parents would hear that like our house is stone like made out of stone and our next door neighbors that are pretty close they have this humongous party every year where they all go out and play croquet I mean, I love them. They're so cute. It's like 50 people in their backyard playing croquet and they were doing it the weekend we moved in. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) oh no. And we were in the house. You couldn't hear a thing. So I'm not saying you should hear that in your backyard, but that is ballsy. And that would be awful too, like to to be the victim of anywhere. No, to be the victim, I feel like, because you probably feel and you feel safe in your backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And you're so close and you can't get there. Not anymore. No. You don't feel safe there. No, anymore. anywhere, Ugh. probably. Terrible. That is. Uh, November 17th, 1988, um, Metro Police formed a task force to capture the Scarborough rapist. About but, friggin' time. I know. It only took like 15 people. 55 to get, rapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get on it, Canada. You can do, you're better than that. You're better than that. <laughs> For sure. Uh, December 27th, 1988, there was an attempted rape, but a nearby neighbor chased off the attacker. Good Good for for you, you. neighbor. We wish all of our neighbors would be that way. Right. June 20th, 1989, another attempted rape, but the young woman fought off her attacker and the screams alerted the neighbors. And that's the thing. Like, I don't know what, how he would keep them quiet Unless he like had a knife on them and was like, I'm going to stab you if you scream. I think he probably did because a lot of these, like, I see like a couple where they got away fighting off. If it was just a person with no weapon, mm-hmm. wouldn't you, I mean, a hundred percent, you're going to fight, right? Oh, Unless yeah. it's like the rock or somebody humongous that you like have no chance against, which this guy was not. So I feel like you're going to fight unless they have a weapon. And most of these people, it doesn't sound like they, they fought. So yeah, no, I probably, mean, 
Well, and, and I, maybe at that time, that was what you were supposed to do is just lay down and take it and then they'll go away. I mean, that is still like the time, like, I feel like that's still suggested, like if you are in danger, but no, because now it's like, like for murders, like if somebody kidnaps you, don't let them take you to a second location because then they're going to kill you. So I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it would be scary. It'd be, it's hard to say what you would do in that situation, mm-hmm. but I always feel like I would much rather get shot trying yeah. than to just, you know, cause either way, if you live or not, you're going to have some hard stuff going on afterward. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. at least you, I would try, but that's just, I think I, I mean, I think it depends on a lot of things, but yeah. I would probably, I mean, I think I would probably try too. I would hope, but I don't know. Never been in right. I mean, that it, kind of situation well, it'd be, before. It'd be totally different if he's standing in front of you with a knife than it is with, uh, he has a knife to your neck. You know, what are you going to do? That's, yeah. So it's all situation. I mean, it just For based sure. on the circumstances, but um, Bernardo actually was scratched in the face during this attack. So and then August 15th, 1989, a 22-year-old was raped. November 21st, 1989, a 15-year-old girl was raped. Bernardo saw this little girl in a bus shelter. Um, December 22nd, 1989, a 19-year-old woman was raped. And then December 24th, 1989, Paul proposes to Carla and the two are engaged. Happy days. Happy two days. days after raping somebody else. That's just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's fast forward to 1990. Paul, Which you're only fast forwarding like five days, days here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty far. Um, right. Paul and Carla are still inseparable. Paul was spending a lot of time with the Homolka family who really liked him. Um, they thought he was a good guy. Video cameras were a thing that came out and they were really popular. The couple actually owned one and they filmed a lot of random things, just their day-to-day lives. Carla's younger sister, Tammy, liked Paul also. Tammy was 15 years old and Paul would frequently flirt with her. Sometimes Paul would ask Carla to act like Tammy during sex. And Tammy's or Carla's just like, okay. Could you imagine somebody asking you to pretend like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, hey, pretend to be your sister. I would knock the shit out. out. Of you. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, that is disgusting. Yes. And wrong for 500 yeah. reasons. That is not okay. Paul failed his accountancy exams because um, he's an idiot. And he was <laughs> raping everybody. He probably didn't yeah. have time to study. <laughs> Apparently not. And in 1990, he had lost his job with Price Waterhouse. Paul decided to move in with Carla at the Homolka family home. His credit card debt was mounting and he would end up filing bankruptcy. Real winner. Sounds like it. May 26th, 1990, there was a rape of a 19-year-old woman. The victim is able to relay what her attacker looks like enough to where they can create a composite for the newspaper. Uh, they released it two days later, and it was published in Toronto and area newspapers. But, like, didn't that composite just look like 
every I mean he kind of looks like every guy everybody. yeah like a mid 20s there's nothing dude. super distinguishable about him mm-hmm. I don't feel like yeah like, he's like not would... weird no weird looking at all so yeah, there's it's just, not, he's like... just a guy I mean there's too many just a guys out there yeah yeah <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't telling enough uh, June 1992, months after the police received tips that Bernardo resembled the Scarborough rapist composite, he was interviewed by two police detectives. But I feel like it wasn't just that he looked like the composite. Didn't people turn him in because they were like, this guy's a freak and yeah. he could totally do this. Also, he looks like this. Yes, because there was um, I know that. Carla's friends were super worried about the whole situation. And I guess she had taken him, this isn't in the notes, but I read that she had taken him to like a party whenever she was still in high school and he tried to like beat up a bunch of boys. Yeah. (laughs) Children. Um, and, and just like, just because of jealousy issues with Carla and things like that. So he did have some weird behavior. And then too, I mean, the police saw him at the bus station with that other girl, like, so there's, there's some things. Yeah. Not tight things. Nope. And and here's where it gets bad. Like badder, more bad. really 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 bad super bad um september 1990 carla agreed to let paul have sex with tammy because she was a virgin paul was angry that carla was not a virgin whenever they met each other she knew tammy would not willingly have sex with paul so she stole a bottle of halothane which is a form of anesthetic from the vet clinic she had been working at so december 23rd 1990 two weeks before tammy's 16th birthday the homolkas were having a holiday party the parents and carla's other sister Lori had gone to bed and it was just tammy paul and carla even though tammy was only 15 they had allowed her to drink a few alcoholic beverages which is not like yeah all every not every but no, lots not. of parents do <laughs> yeah. that they're home like, like not every parent just but ours. yeah yeah okay <laughs> i'm sure there are others also but carla crushed up sleeping pills and put them in a rum and eggnog cocktail that she served to her sister which is not cool uh when tammy lost consciousness the pair applied a halothane soaked cloth to her sister's nose and mouth and started undressing her in the basement Tammy was Carla's present Christmas present to Paul, which is is disgusting. That that makes me physically ill to think about. I know to basically put your sister on a silver platter to your fiance. Who is like passed out. Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah. And this is like premeditated. It's not like it just, oh, it happened. And I wasn't thinking clearly. She planned She stole, yeah, she stole that a month. Oh, months, multiple months months before December. So she had all of that time to be like, oh, that, you know, her conscience is a bad idea. What was I thinking? No, Mm -hmm. that right there is what's dangerous is her lack of 
empathy of like just right and wrong and not Mm -hmm. realizing that this is a terrible thing to do to somebody, especially family. Do you talk about how they administered the hell thing later? Through like, like, like the fact that they put it straight on her face. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just making sure. Um, so the two videotaped themselves raping her in the basement, taking turns, holding the camera. So not only did Paul rape her little sister, but she raped her little sister too. Yes. Tammy began to vomit and Carla and Paul tried to revive her and called 911 after they hid all the evidence. They dressed Tammy and moved her into her bedroom. A few hours later, Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital without regaining consciousness. How terrible. Like, I'm honestly surprised they even called the cops. And I, I am too, because they could have just put her into bed and acted like they didn't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ugh. if you're going to go that far to do that, why? Why They're even broke. Try that? So, yeah. Yeah. The regional municipality of Niagara Coroner and the Homoka family believed Carla and Paul's story that Tammy had started choking on her own vomit after her alcohol consumption. They completely missed the chemical burn on Tammy's face. That was from the halothane that they put on a towel and draped over her face. Mm-hmm. Um, it burned her. But nobody said anything about it. And also the odd behavior that Carla and Paul were doing, like they were vacuuming, they were washing laundry, trying to get rid of all this evidence that they knew that was down there. Like, that's mm-hmm. weird. If you, your sister just died. And you're like doing and you're vacuuming in the middle of the night. Yeah. Like that's odd. That is odd. And so I don't know if you are going to say this or not. Well, that's but- about all. So if there's more. Just the fact that they put the cloth like onto her face. Um, something in the documentary said that um, Carla knew enough about halothane that that would kill her. Yeah. They don't put that directly like onto you like that. So they said that she had worked enough in that vet clinic to know that that could kill her. And she, she's the one that administered it. So she did mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming knowing that that could kill her. Well, and I think that they said that um, she had done that because she like wanting to kill her because she was so jealous of the fact that Paul had this infatuation, obviously, with Tammy and she wanted to like get rid of her. But then it's her baby sister. If you were that concerned and jealous of your sister, why the hell would you let your fiance have sex with her? I don't know. But also like, why would you ever be with somebody who you were jealous of your sister over? Right. That when they're, when she's a baby. Yeah. Like yeah. she's significantly younger. And well, like, but, but Carla was a baby too. She I know, but this girl's even older. When this took place. No, whenever. They got together. She was 17. Right. And he was 23. So, I mean, I'm just saying like he had aged since then and she has aged since then. So like, if you have to be jealous of your sister, who's like six or seven years younger than you are uh, with your boyfriend, like, no, yeah, that's weird (laughs) when you're that old. It's very strange. It's the whole thing is just like, all I could think about is like the parents, like that's so, and obviously at this point, 
At this they point, don't know. they don't know, but I just, I can't even imagine. Imagine. Yeah. No. And just like how messed up you would have to be to do that to your sibling. No, I would. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't Something know. Something is some seriously not firing. Right. <laughs> no. January 12th, 1991, Paul abducted a girl, took her to the house. So this was the Homoko family home. And this is also to. like uh, two weeks later. Yeah. And they dropped, uh, they raped her while he raped her while Carla watched. Then they dropped her off on a deserted road near Lake Gibson. Paul and Carla didn't know her name. They just called her the January girl. Mm-mm. No, no. Three weeks after Tammy's death, which is like right at the same time, Carla and Paul videotaped themselves again. The video called the fireside chat was filmed inside the Homolka's home. It started in the basement with Carla admitting to Paul that she liked him raping Tammy and that she would like to leave a rose at Tammy's gravesite. When they moved to, I know what, what what the fuck? (laughs) This is insane. This is insane to me. When they moved to Tammy's bedroom, Carla dressed, what? Dressed in Tammy's clothes and started acting like her sister. And then they had sex on Tammy's bed. After her little baby sister died and they killed her. What is happening? Okay. if, If my daughter died, that room would be like probably a shrine. Yeah. That would never forever. be touched. Yeah. And to go in there, I feel like there had to have been something that was disturbed. I'm sure. And like, is no, where the, where the hell are her parents at? I don't know. Were the other sister? I don't know. Not there. I would assume. I don't, I, I I'd do hope not, not know. Ugh. Or maybe that's, that's just disgusting. It's, all of it yeah gross april 6 1991 paul abducted a 14 year old girl who he drug into a shrubbery near the rowing club she attended he sexually assaulted her and forced her to remove her clothes after he was done with her he told her to wait five minutes so he could disappear June 7th, 1991, Carla invited a 15-year-old girl she had made friends with at the pet shop two years earlier over for a girl's night out. This girl is known as Jane Doe. After a night of shopping and eating, Carla laced Doe's alcohol with Halcyon. When the girl lost consciousness, she called to Paul um, that she had a surprise wedding gift ready. Bernardo videotaped Carla raping the girl before he sexually assaulted her. The next morning, Jane Doe was sick, but thought that her vomiting was from her first time drinking alcohol. She did not realize that she had been sexually assaulted. And that is just weird. Like, okay, so obviously they are so confident in themselves that they could sexually assault someone who doesn't even realize it the next morning. But then you're not going to do that for your sister. You'd rather her be dead. Like, I just, yeah, I don't don't, understand. I don't understand any of it either. Okay. Early in the morning on June 15th, 1991, Paul took a detour through Burlington to steal license plates 
for his cigarette smuggling business that he was oh. in. He sounds like a freaking winner. <laughs> freaking prize man right there. Why would you be smuggling? How is smuggling cigarettes a business? <laughs> I don't even know. I didn't really understand what, like, are you talking about breaking open packs and selling one or two? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> Maybe Canada is super expensive for cigarettes Maybe. and the U.S. isn't. That's what I would assume. Probably. But anyway, he found Leslie Mahaffey, who was uh, outside a house. Apparently, the 14-year-old girl had missed her curfew after attending a friend's wake, and her mother had locked her out of the house. Paul left his car and walked up to Leslie, saying that he wanted to break up into the neighbor's house. <laughs> that wasn't weird for her <laughs> she asked him if he had any cigarettes which, which he is, did because he's, yeah, he's a cigarette smuggler, smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> paul led leslie to his car where he blindfolded her forced her into the car and then drove her to port dalla house and informed carla that he had another victim Ugh. The pair videotaped themselves sexually abusing Leslie while they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Paul said, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job. Then adding the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you right now. You're scoring perfect. That's just sick. Sickening. That is gross. Yeah. In another section of tape, the assault escalates and you hear Leslie cry out in pain and beg Paul to stop. He was sodomizing her while her hands were bound with twine. Terrible. Ugh. Leslie then tells Paul that her blindfold seemed to be slipping, which meant she could they they could identify who they were, her attackers. The following day, Paul claimed that Carla fed her a lethal dose of halcyon, and then Carla claimed Paul strangled her. So this is during after they were, you know, in yeah, caught. court. Yeah. So they don't really know what happened. Who They don't know who killed her. No, <clears throat> but they put her body in the basement. The next night, the Homoko family came to visit and had dinner, not knowing that there was a dead body right underneath their feet. Ugh. Yeah. After the Homokas left, Paul and Carla decided that the best way to dispose of Leslie would be to dismember her body and encase her in cement. Paul bought 12 bags of cement at a hardware store the next day and kept the receipts. Paul used his grandfather's circular saw to dismember Leslie. Paul and Carla then made several trips to dump the cement blocks in Lake Gibson, 11 miles from their house. At least one of the blocks weighed at least 200 pounds and did not sink. And the reason why, I don't know why he kept the receipts, but they found the receipts when they were doing their walkthrough. So that's why that was important. June 29th, 1991, Michael Deschette and his son, Michael Jr. were on a fishing expedition when the cement block was found. Her retainer was used to identify her body. Oh, that's. Oh, yeah, because you don't remember that. I mean, I don't remember just from this like short spurt that she was only 14. Yeah, a baby. She was a baby. Yep. On that same day that the body was discovered, June 29th, 1991, Paul and Carla are married in a lavish wedding only six months after the death of Tammy. Her wedding vows included to love, honor, and obey him. 
the wedding had a horse-drawn carriage and a pheasant dinner followed with a honeymoon in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they weren't too sad <laughs> about yeah. her sister passing away that they just went ahead and got married. After their wedding, the two moved to St. Catherine's Upscale Port Dalla House neighborhood into a pink clapboard Cape Cod style house just two miles from an old trailer park that Carla actually used to live at. They applied to have their last names changed to Teal because Paul had a falling out with his parents, is what he said. After their wedding, it seemed Carla became isolated from her friends and had to always tell Paul where she was and what she was doing. She never told anybody about what was going on in their relationship. So friends and family just saw kind of him. A drop off. Yeah. Yep. I mean, she wasn't telling her friends and family what was going on in their relationship anyways. Because yeah, she can't because she. <laughs> but yeah. then right. she started to just cut everybody off. Yep. So in August 1991, Jane Doe was invited to the Port Dalhousie to spend the night and was drugged. Carla called 911 for help after the girl stopped breathing after being raped. Carla then called back uh, to tell them everything was all right, and the ambulance was recalled without a follow-up. Jane Doe did survive. Which, and I feel like that's weird. Typically, that it's weird because if anyway. you call, yeah, I was gonna say, if you call, I'm pretty sure they usually go all the way. They're already out. Mm-hmm. to do a check yeah to make sure that it's not somebody who just broke this? up into your house <laughs> it was like it's fine everybody's fine <laughs> or if you call somebody and say hey this girl stopped breathing yeah. oh, okay never mind no they're right. gonna go talk to this girl you would think so that's like very odd right yep. i i think so yes so we are going to stop here And we are going to record the rest of this terrible tale next week. Uh, So tune in next week for episode 90 on the second part of the Ken and Barbie killers. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening and we will see you next week.